You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Episode five. Yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. Assuming America. Oh, so the Air Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July eighteenth, two thousand twenty-two. People. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody enjoyed long-form week last week on the Eratora Sports Podcast. I was on vacation, but here's the good news. If you like Torres, bad news if you hate me. I am back. I am rested. As you can hear in my voice, I am fired up. And I am ready for a fun Monday episode of the Eratora Sports Podcast and to just really ramp this thing up as we get close to football. Here is what we will talk about on today's show. It is going to be a fun one. We will open with SEC Media Days. You know it. You follow it. You love it. What I am going to do is Media Days start today, and I'm going to give you what I believe to be the seven biggest storylines in, in the SEC heading into Media Days, just to kind of refresh everybody's memory on what you may have forgotten since last year. From there, we switch gears. Kind of a crazy story that happened while I was away. Jordan Addison the wide receiver who was at Pitt ended up at USC. There was a report that he is unhappy at USC. Some NIL promises have not been met. We talk about that, but also the new world of NIL and the fact that this is the newest problem that's popping up. Things are being promised. The adults aren't delivering, whether it's the school, whether it's an agent, whether it's a coach, whether it's this, whether it's the collective. We'll talk about that. And we'll wrap with talking about crazy recruiting stories. Gigi Jackson number one high school player in the class of 2023. He appears, he has officially decommitted from North Carolina. He was committed to North Carolina. Here's the crazy part. He appears to be ready to reclassify and go to South Carolina this year. I don't tell people what to do, but I will just say that I am not a fan. But I'll tell you this. It is going to be a fun week with SEC Media Days. College football is here. I should mention, by the way, if you love college football, Make sure we will have AT Media, Aaron Torres Media will have a presence at SEC Media Days. Make sure to follow our team-specific accounts. If you're a Kentucky fan, Torres on UK. If you're an Arkansas fan, Torres on the Hogs. If you're a Tennessee fan, Torres on the Vols, Torres on Arkansas, Torres on Texas A.M. for Texas A&M, and of course, Torres on Bama. It's going to be a fun week. And so with that said, 
let's get to the topic of the day. Can you hear the excitement in my voice? This ain't late October and I'm grinding through a show on a Tuesday. I am refreshed, recharged, and ready for the week that is to come. And the topic of the day, I'll just tell you straight up, it's SEC Media Days. And I'll tell you, I have done a full 180 on SEC Media Days. Really up until about two, three, four years ago, I said, I get it. I get why people get excited, but I don't really see the hype. Nothing interesting ever comes out of SEC Media Days. Nothing big ever happens. As I've said many times, the last really significant thing that I feel like came out of SEC Media Days outside of Texas and Oklahoma breaking last year and nobody would talk about it was probably all the way back to Johnny Manziel in 2013, 2014, whatever it was, when he was coming off the Heisman Trophy. He had gotten in some trouble. There was some potential NCAA stuff, signed some autographs. That was really the last time that something really important happened at SEC Media Days. That was the first time that Johnny Manziel had spoken. Why I bring it up, though, is this. Over the last two, three years, my opinion on SEC Media Days has changed. I looked at it as a media opportunity instead of looking at it for what it really is and why I love SEC Media Days so much, and that is this. I love now SEC Media Days because it is now really just the unofficial launch of college football season. We're not totally there yet, but it's not April, it's not May, it's not June. We are in late July, and SEC Media Days, to me, is the unofficial launch of college football. We are, believe it or not, under 50 days away from the start of the season. I am so fired up, and so I'm rambling here in episode one since I returned, but what I want to do now with SEC Media Days here, this is how we're going to celebrate. I'm going to give you the seven biggest storylines in the SEC heading into this season. In my opinion, what I view this segment as, it's an opportunity to just get everybody caught up on all the craziness that happened last offseason. Maybe you follow your team, maybe you follow your favorite program, maybe you remember general things. Oh yeah, Georgia won the national championship. Oh yeah, Alabama did this. Oh yeah, Brian freaking Kelly is now the head coach at LSU. But what I want to do is just get into what I believe to be the seven biggest storylines in the SEC heading into the 2021, 20, uh, 2021, 2022 season. Let's get into it. SEC Media Days start today. Here are the seven biggest stories of the season. Number one, how about my dogs? And really, number one is pretty straightforward. It is, what does Georgia have for an encore? Now, we talked about this a little bit last week or two weeks ago in the biggest storylines of the college football season. Some of these will be a little bit repetitive. But what I would say about Georgia, for the first time in over 40 years, since before many of you were born, I think before most of you were probably born, Georgia is entering the season as the reigning national champion. And I think it's just been fascinating to kind of follow this offseason. Do you ever remember a program that had waited this long to reach the ultimate goal that has been talked about less in the offseason? Now, Kirby Smart probably loves it. But when's the last real conversation we had about Georgia? We've talked about Jordan Addison, who we're going to get to later. We've talked about Lincoln Riley. We've talked about Steve Sarkeesian in the transfer portal. We've talked about Jim Harbaugh interviewing for NFL jobs. We've talked about Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban. We really, outside of maybe a day or two following uh, the NFL draft when Georgia set a record with 15 NFL draft picks, we really haven't talked all that much about Georgia this offseason. And so I want to start with, I'm just fascinated to see what they have for an encore. Now, on the one hand, I'll readily admit, 
I do think that it's hard not to see a scenario where Georgia doesn't take somewhat of a step back. Like I said, they had 15 players selected in the 2022 NFL Draft. That is a record. Five first-rounders all off their defense. That is a record. And so it is hard to imagine. By the way, uh, two great running backs, James Cook and uh, um, Zeus, uh, Zeus White, offensive linemen. You go on and on down the list. 15 players lost. I don't care how well you recruit. That's a lot. And then on top of that, here's the other thing, and I'm not criticizing Georgia, and I'm not trying to tear him down, but part of why I have questions and I have to think that Georgia's going to take a step back is because they got kind of lucky in the process last off- last year, right? I talked about it, but they lost in the SEC championship game. Most years, that is a one-way ticket out of the playoff. But last year, the ACC was bad. Last year, the Big 12 was bad. Last year, the Pac-12, again, didn't have a representative. So Georgia gets back in, and then even in the playoff, even in the title game, if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, they might not win that game. It doesn't matter. They're the champion. How about my dogs? And the bottom line is they are the defending champ. And I would also say that while I do think that they're probably a half a tier below Alabama and Ohio State coming into the season, what I would also say is this. They're going to be really good. They're going to probably compete for a playoff again. They're going to win the SEC East. And I would also say, even if you think they're going to take a half a step back, I think it's hard to see a scenario where they fall too far. One, the talent is too good. Two, look at the schedule. Where are the losses? Now, they do open with Oregon. But remember, that game is in Atlanta. They are already uh, as much as a 17-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you think they're going to lose that opener, you think that's going to go down as one of the biggest upsets in college football this season because a 17-point underdog would reflect that they're one of the bigger uh, underdogs of the season. Uh, That would be one of the bigger upsets of the season. Beyond that, look at the schedule. Like I said, yeah, they play Oregon early. But in the cross-division games, here's who they play. They play Auburn at home at Mississippi State. I'm high on Mississippi State. I don't think they're beating Georgia. They don't play Alabama. They don't play A&M. They don't play LSU. They don't play Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. And so it's hard to find the losses on the schedule. They get Tennessee at home, I should mention. They get uh, Florida on a neutral field, as they always do with Florida as a first-year head coach. They do play at Kentucky late in the season. That one could be tough, but it is hard to find the, the losses there. And so to me, I look at Georgia's scenario. As long as they get by Oregon early in the season, most of their quote-unquote big games are later in the season. And I almost wonder if they have almost like a Clemson-type regular season where they can really use the early parts of the schedule. Now, they do play at South Carolina early. They do play Auburn in mid-October. But they get Tennessee late in the season at home. They get game at Kentucky late in the season, and I wonder if they use the season to kind of figure things out as they go on and ramp up late. I expect this team to be the SEC East champ. I expect them to compete for a playoff berth. Georgia, how about my dogs? That is the number one story. What does year the year following a national championship look like? Number two, in terms of the second most interesting storyline in the SEC this season, SEC Media Day starting today on Monday if you're listening, earlier in the week on Monday if you're not listening on Monday. Number two is that Alabama Revenge Tour is going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly for everybody that is in Alabama's wake because here is what is crazy about Alabama. You go back to this time last year. 
if there was ever a year where Alabama should have taken a step back, last year was the year. Remember, coming into last year, they lost six first-round picks from the previous season, 2020, when they won the national championship with Mac Jones as their quarterback. They lost Steve Sarkeesian as their play caller and their entire offensive staff. They were breaking in a freshman quarterback. They lost a Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver. They lost in the middle of the season at Texas A&M. We didn't think they were going to make the playoff if they did not play Georgia. Instead, what happens? In a down year, in a, bad, in a rebuilding season, I should say, they go to the national championship game, and as I just said with the Georgia segment, if Jamison Williams, their star wide receiver, first round pick of the Detroit Lions, if he doesn't get hurt, Alabama might win the national championship game. Everything that happened all regular season, get back to the title game, lose your best wide receiver. You lost your second best wide receiver, John Mechie, in the national semifinals. You, you are down a couple starting offensive linemen in that game. You're down a couple defensive backs that are hurt. And Alabama led in the fourth quarter of the national championship game. They were like this close to winning it all. Don't let the final score fool you. That was a close game. And so now, this is actually the year they were building for, and I am terrified of what they are going to look like to the teams. Uh, I'm just terrified for the teams that they are going to play because this is going to be a revenge tour, and it is going to be ugly. Uh, You look at this team. Again, they were built for this year. They now have, just think about who Alabama has this year. They have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. So literally the best offensive player in college football. They have the best defensive player in college football, and I'll make a case later in the offseason why I believe Will Anderson is going to win the Heisman Trophy, their defensive end. But they have the best defensive player. And then here's the crazy part. We talk about all these changes in college football. There is no doubt that while Nick Saban has vocally been against the transfer portal, he has taken it to his advantage. This offseason, Nick Saban signed potentially five starters out of the transfer portal. So remember, they already have the best quarterback in college football, the best offensive player. They already have the best defensive player in college football. Here's who they signed out of the portal. Maybe the best running back in the portal, Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. Two elite wide receivers, Jermaine Burton from Georgia, who's being projected as a first-round pick next year, Tyler Harrell from Louisville. They signed an offensive tackle from Vanderbilt who's expected to start on the offensive line. And they dra- they signed uh, maybe the best cornerback in college football, Eli Ricks, who was at LSU, projected to be a top 10 pick in the next NFL draft. Best offensive player, Bryce Young. Best defensive player, Will Anderson. Five difference makers out of the portal. And on top of it is Nick Saban. I know the schedule is tough. If you look at Alabama's schedule, it's actually legitimately challenging. Week two, they play at Texas. I know we all make fun of Texas. They should be much improved. They play later in the season at Tennessee. They play at Arkansas. They play at LSU. They play at Ole Miss. It won't be easy, but this is a revenge tour, and Alabama is out for blood. I just mentioned LSU. Here is what is number three in my most interesting storylines, the storylines that you need to know heading into SEC Media Days. We have new head coaches at two of the premier programs in this conference, Florida and LSU. And it's crazy to me because the parallels between these two programs, which are conference rivals, they play every year in a cross-division game, are stunning to me. Both programs, two years ago, LSU wins a national championship in 2019. I guess it's three years ago now coming into this year. Florida plays in three straight 
uh, BC, uh, New Year's Six Bowl games, including an SEC East Division title just two seasons ago in COVID. And yet you look at this particular season. Dan Mullen gets fired at, L- at Florida, replaced by Billy Napier from Louisiana. We talked about him a few weeks ago. LSU, Brian freaking Kelly is the head coach at LSU. That's maybe the craziest thing about the SEC this year. Brian Kelly is the first speaker on Monday at SEC Media Day. That is insane to me. But what's more interesting is it's not only two first-year head coaches. It's not only two programs that are going to face each other every year under the current structure of the SEC. And maybe that changes when, uh, when the, new, the new schools, Texas and Oklahoma, come in. But on top of that, the parallels between the two programs are pretty similar. LSU starting with them, uh, just total attrition, right? Injuries, problems. Remember, last time we saw LSU, 40-something players in their bowl game lost to Kansas State. Now coming into this season, they have four quarterbacks. They, don't, they might have none. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, who had been in the, the program before, he's the only one that actually played there last year. Miles Brennan, who two years ago we believed was going to be the replacement of Joe Burrow. He plays about two games, gets hurt, looked awesome in those two games, has missed the last year and a half. If he's healthy, he's probably the best guy on the roster. Jaden Daniels transferred from Arizona State. I'm out on him. I don't believe in him. Walker Kessler, or Walker Kessler, Walker Kessler is the forward from Auburn. Walker Howard, uh, five-star signee, freshman, probably won't play this year. And so you have, you talk about having one quarterback, you have none. They have four quarterbacks. I think that's probably not a great sign coming into the year. And then on top of that, there's just not enough depth in most places. They have really good frontline talent. I find it interesting. You look at some mock drafts. Some people have them projected with two, three first-round draft picks. My boy Kayshawn Boutte may be the best wide receiver in college football this year. But outside of him and outside of the wide receiver position, there's just not very much depth anywhere. Their front-end defensive line is as good as anybody. They just don't have the dudes over the course of a game. And so it's interesting to look at LSU because they do have the traditional tough LSU schedule. They get Florida on the road, LS, uh, uh, Tennessee at home in cross-division games. Both of those will be tough. And then on top of that, they play Florida State in the opener in the out-of-conference. At some point, I'm going to do like the five biggest September games or whatever. I think Florida State LSU is fascinating. Florida State needs a good year, and they need it now for Mike Norvell. So you talk about playing that game in the Superdome. Imagine if you don't win that game in the opener and what it could mean for your season. In terms of Florida, again, the parallels are kind of striking. Now, they, they're set at quarterback. Anthony Richardson, he doesn't want to be called AR-15 anymore for uh, you know reasons to do with gun control and stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But he's in at quarterback, and everyone's just like anointing him as whatever. I find it fa- the guy has thrown less than seventy career touched uh, seventy career total passes, and so you have him. But like LSU, there's just not very much depth at most places across the field. They lose their best skill position players either to graduation, NFL draft. Jacob Copeland, their leading wide receiver last year, transferred to Maryland. The defense wasn't very good last year and does not bring back a lot. And the schedule for Florida is absolutely brutal. One of the most intriguing week one games, in my opinion, Florida hosts Utah. You know how good Utah is awesome. Utah put up 45 points in the Rose Bowl, lost to Ohio State. They bring back most of their offense, and they're always good defensively. Then in week two, Florida plays Kentucky at home. Florida could start 0-2. I don't think that they will. But they could start 0-2, and then, oh, by the way, they have a game at 
Tennessee before the end of September. There is a scenario where Florida in year one under Billy Napier could be one in three coming out of September. I don't think it happens, but it is not inconceivable. And so you talk about a crazy setup with two first-year head coaches, number three out of my list of the seven biggest stories, LSU and Florida's first-year head coaches. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number four, I think there's probably only really one coach on this in this conference that's on the hot seat. And I know, by the way, that changes really quick. Nobody thought Dan Mullen was on the hot seat coming into last year. That can change very quick. But the only guy that's on the hot seat probably coming into this season is uh, is Brian Harson from from Auburn. And let me just tell you, uh, you just talk about just crazy. You just talk about an absolutely crazy story that I don't think a lot of people remember all the details on. Do you remember what happened last year? So Auburn, last season did not end well. You don't need me to tell you that. You don't need a a friend to tell you that. They lose five straight games to end the year. Now, I should mention, they played Alabama really tough in the Iron Bowl, easily could have won that game. But they lose five straight to end the season, including a couple teams that Auburn really shouldn't lose to. They lost to South Carolina on the road. They lose to Mississippi State at home. They lose to Houston in a bowl game. Then the offseason hits. The boosters, or some of them, I don't want to generalize all Auburn boosters, but some of the boosters decide that Brian Harson is not the guy for them. They try to have a coup. They try to force him out. They try to set up a fake story about him having a personal relationship with somebody that works under him. And Brian Harson basically says, that's not true. If you want to investigate me, investigate me. The school literally investigated him, trying to find something to fire him with cause. It did not happen. And now he's back. And so I think there's two ways to look at Auburn this particular season. I think on the one hand, I think it's pretty clear. Look, the guys that are in the program right now, they believe in Brian Harse. I think that's important, right? That is important to know. The guys in the program right now believe in Brian Harse. Um, I, I don't think they're very talented. I don't think they're very deep. I think there's individual places where they're interesting. Tank Bigsby, their running back, is a star. Um, but it's going to be interesting because... While I believe that he has full buy-in, look at the schedule. The schedule in typical Auburn fashion is just brutal. Out of conference game against Penn State at home. LSU at home. At Georgia. At Ole Miss. At Mississippi State, who I think is going to be good. At Alabama. Texas A&M. Arkansas. LSU. Penn State, as I just said, at home. And so where I get tripped up on Auburn, I'm not anti-Brian Harson, but what's so fascinating to me is pretty straightforward. Maybe the toughest schedule in college football. Again, Penn State at home in the out-of-conference, 
at Georgia, at Alabama, Texas A&M at home, LSU at home. My question becomes, what does he need to do? What does Brian Harson need to do to guarantee he'll be back next year? That's what's fascinating to me. Because to me, it feels like probably 8-4 and four is like the baseline threshold for him to come back next year. And really, you need like a good win out of there. Maybe you don't beat uh, Georgia and Alabama, but you got to beat Penn State. Maybe you beat Ole Miss on the road, something like that. But my question becomes twofold. What is it actually going to take for him to keep the job? And then two, on top of that, um, you know, what are the wins that what, – what, what is the record – that gets him to keep his job? What are the wins that are needed to keep his job? And then just, does he have the bodies? Can they do it? Because they, there has been a lot of attrition. Brian Harson probably on the hot seat. The, the, you know, out of everybody in the SEC, I would say he's certainly the, the hottest of everybody's seats. That is number four in terms of the biggest storylines in the SEC. What are realistic expectations for Auburn? What are realistic expectations for Brian Harson? What does he have to do to keep his job? Number five, speaking of realistic expectations, and we'll speed up these last few because I'm going along like I always do. I'm back for vacation and I'm fired up. Forgive me. Number five, what are realistic expectations for AM? And I think I talked about this one in the biggest storylines in college football a few weeks ago. But what I would say about the AM situation, I find it fascinating, right? I think there's a big dichotomy between what is expected for Texas AM football inside that program and outside that program. And what I mean by that is after the crazy offseason that A&M has had, after a situation where they signed the number one recruiting class in the history of high school football, I think there's an outside perception. Jimbo beefs with Nick Saban. You better win and win big this year. You better compete for a playoff spot. And I don't get the sense that A&M fans feel the same way. A&M fans, from what I can gauge, yes, you got to win. I think probably 10-2 and two feels about right. But I think A&M fans understand we're probably a year away because, one, they don't really have an experienced quarterback at A&M. Last year's starter, Haynes King, goes down one game into the season. Second game of the year, he is out for the year. He's back. But then you have a transfer named Max Johnson who started at LSU but has never played a down for Texas A&M. He's in the mix. And then you have a freshman, Connor Wegman. And so when you look at A&M, you're trying to figure out, like, okay, wait a second now. Um, who's the quarterback, who gives us the best chance to win, all that good stuff. But then on top of that, also keep in mind that you also have an elite freshman class that are still freshmen. Most of those guys were not on campus for the spring semester. Most of these guys are just getting acclimated to Texas A&M as we speak. And so what's so interesting to me about Texas A&M, what are realistic expectations? Obviously, can't go 8-4 and four like you did last year. Can't lose to Mississippi State at home like you did last year. But I also don't think that Texas A&M fans are going to freak out if you don't go 12-0, win the, win the West, go to the SEC title game, go to the college football playoff. What is realistic? That's the fun part, right? Is it 10-2 and with just a loss to Alabama and basically nobody else? Is it just, what is it? What is, what is acceptable? What isn't? Again, you look at the schedule, 10-2 and feels about right. But you are asking a program with as much elite talent as they have. Remember, no established quarterback. They did lose a couple high first, you know, a first round pick on the offensive line, a couple high picks overall. They lost most of their best defensive production. I'm just fascinated by Texas A&M, number six. Number seven, or number five, excuse me. Number six, I'll tell you this, team I like a lot. Oh, Rocky Top, you'll always be home, sweet home to me. 
fight. Okay, you get the point. Tennessee, to me, I believe is the mo- maybe the most intriguing team. I, I, can you say there's a most intriguing team in the SEC West? You can't, right? Every or in the SEC, excuse me. They're in the East. I know uh, people are driving around. Torres, you don't know what you're talking about. Spent too much time on vacation. I know Tennessee's in the East. This segment's going off the rails. They're fascinating to me. And I will tell you, out of every over-under, remember, over-under win totals, if you listen to the College Football Betting Podcast, if you don't, make sure to subscribe. Uh, Tennessee, to me, I believe is probably my favorite over-under win total bet in the SEC East. It's seven and a half this in a year after Tennessee won seven regular season games last year. So you're basically asking them to be one game better, and you look at not only this year's schedule, but you look at what happened last year, and I think it's very attainable if you're Tennessee, and let me explain why. First of all, just going back to last year, yes, they went 7-5, and five, but keep in mind this. Early in the season, they lost to Pitt at home. Pitt ended up being the ACC champs. That was the best year Pitt has had in probably 30 years, 20 years, whatever. And Tennessee didn't start their eventual starter, Hennon Hooker, in that game. That was the last game that a kid named Joe Milton started. Hennon Hooker ended up coming in, and Hennon Hooker won the job that day and never gave it back. And I sit there and say, if Hennon Hooker had started that game, they'd probably win. And then later in the season, they played Ole Miss at home. And remember, that was the game, the famous sort of fan, you know, there was a lot of stuff thrown on the field. Somebody threw a golf ball at Lane Kiffin, if you remember. Well, in that game, their starting quarterback, Hennon Hooker, got hurt late and was not able to finish the game. He got hurt on the final drive of the game. And so with Tennessee, they're so intriguing to me because I think they were they were seven and five last year. I think they were closer to nine and three than they were to five and seven. In terms of 2022, Hennon Hooker's back. Most of the defense is back. I believe in Josh Heupel in year two. And I am just fascinated because I think the schedule for Tennessee standards is actually pretty manageable. Now keep in mind, Tennessee, they always play Alabama out of the West. This year they also have LSU out of the West. But let's be honest, if there's ever a year that you want to play LSU, this feels like it's it. They do get Kentucky at home. They do get Missouri at home. Their toughest out-of-conference game is at Pitt, which is down Kenny Pickett, which is down Jordan Addison. And so I look at Tennessee. I think they're the most intriguing team, maybe in the East, maybe in the conference. I like them to exceed expectations, go 8-4, and four, potentially, although I'm not picking it, 9-3. and three. Lastly, most interesting story. I think there are three teams from last year that exceeded expectations in a positive way. Maybe a fourth one was South Carolina, but we'll leave them out of this. It was Ole Miss, who had 10 wins for the first time in school history in the regular season. That's an incredible stat. Ole Miss been playing football forever. Last year was the first time ever they had 10 wins in the regular season. Kentucky, they win nine games during the regular season, plus a bowl game, so 10 wins for Kentucky. And Arkansas went 9-4. and four. And so the final thing that I'm most intrigued by in the SEC this year is which of those programs can maintain the level that they were at and which ones step back. And I think for all three, there are arguments for and against. For Ole Miss, I think it's hard to argue that they're going to meet the 10 wins that they got last year. That's just a really hard thing for a place like Ole Miss to do, and it's especially hard because they lost basically everybody off of last year's team. Matt Corral, the starting quarterback, a bunch of wide receivers, a bunch of running backs, But here's the catch. They didn't just lose those guys. They lost their offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, who went to Oklahoma. And they lost their defensive coordinator, 
who went to Texas A&M, DJ Durkin. And so you look at Ole Miss, basically everybody in that building that led to their success last year, except for Lane Kiffin, is gone. That's why I think they take a step back, and we're going to get into this with these other teams, but look, they took advantage of some teams that are traditionally up being down. Now, to their credit, they still beat Texas A&M. To their credit, they still took care of business uh, at Tennessee, but they lost a lot off of last year. Now, I will say on a positive with Ole Miss, they cleaned up in the portal. And I think we all kind of know Lane Kiffin's kind of dubbed himself the portal king, all that stuff. Typical Lane Kiffin. But Jackson Dart, the former USC quarterback, is there. Michael Trigg, the former USC tight end, is there. Former highly recruited player. Zach Evans, who was formerly the number one high school running back in America, committed to Georgia, played at TCU. He's now at Ole Miss. A lot of real talented guys there. Uh, 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 Wide receiver Jordan Watkins from Louisville is there. You go on and on down the list, they're really talented. I do think, though, it's hard to see the scenario where Ole Miss matches what they did last year. Just a lot of things just really broke right for them, and I do wonder about them. Speaking of which, Kentucky had 10 wins, and we got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen. And I like Mark Stoops, but I do think there's, there's reason that this program could regress. Listen. They, and we're going to talk about Arkansas in a minute because Arkansas is kind of the same deal. There's no doubt that Kentucky took advantage of teams that were, that were historically bad that Kentucky historically struggles with. They beat Florida in Lexington for the first time in forever. I know some people listening to this show were there. It is not to disparage Kentucky for beating Florida, but we didn't realize at that time Florida was ranked in the top 10 in that game. Can you believe that? Florida was ranked in the top 10 when they went to Lexington last year in early October. And it ended, the season ended with Dan Mullen not even being the head coach. But we didn't know that at the time when Kentucky beat him. We didn't know it at the time when Kentucky beat LSU that it was Coach O's last game as the sitting head coach of LSU. He negotiated his buyout shortly after that game. And so you look at Kentucky. They took advantage of a very down LSU. They took advantage of a very down Florida and on top of that, they lost a lot of really important people. Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, he went back to the NFL. And I know they replaced him with a guy that's from the same coaching tree, all that stuff. But I just worry. That's all I'm saying is I worry. Um, and then on top of that, they lose Wandale Robinson. So you look at Kentucky. I like him, but I worry a little bit. They lost a lot. They took advantage of some teams last year. I don't know that they can get back to like that nine-win threshold, nine wins during the regular season. I think Probably 8-4 and four is probably what feels right for me with Kentucky. And then Arkansas is kind of the same deal, right? You, you beat LSU in a season where LSU is as bad as they're ever going to be for a very long time. Um, Arkansas, you know, took care of everybody they're supposed to. And I don't, I don't want to discredit what Arkansas did. But you, on a positive note for Arkansas, you do have your starting quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, back. On a negative note... You do lose a bunch of really talented players. Obviously, Traylon Burks, the first-round pick of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Traylon Smith, the running back. You lose a couple really good defensive players. Now, I still believe in this defense under Barry Odom, but you start to look at some of the players that they lost off that defense. Some really, really, really talented players. Grant Morgan, Hayden Henry, elite linebackers who are no longer with the program. And so that's my SEC preview. My goodness, did that go long. For the, the South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State fans, I don't know what to say. I think Mississippi State's actually pretty underrated coming into this year. But 
SEC media days are here. Those are my seven biggest stories. I don't want to go any longer because I, I got a lot of other stuff to talk about, but those are the seven biggest stories in my opinion. What's next for Georgia? The Alabama Revenge Tour, the two new head coaches at LSU and Florida, Brian Harson's hot seat, realistic expectations at A&M, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Arkansas, which one can stay at the level they were last year, which one underachieves, and of course, Tennessee, which I missed as well. Woo! Great first segment of the Aaron Sports Podcast. How about that? We haven't fun yet. Media days are here. You're listening to Torres, and it doesn't get much better than this. So this is what I would like to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I get back, I want to talk about this crazy Jordan Addison situation. Crazy situation. So there was a report late last week, or early last week actually, that Jordan Addison, star wide receiver, committed to USC, Bolitnikov winner, is not happy. Some NIL promises were made that are not being met. We're going to talk about not only Jordan Addison, but this new reality in NIL. We're in situations where kids are promised things, they're not being met. This is the new reality. I'm going to tell you some stuff, by the way, about USC that you did not know. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to continue the conversation on college football. And I do want to talk about a story that really actually kind of broke about a week ago. And it's really just a report. But I will say that I did tweet about it. And I got a lot of response both on the tweet itself and then privately some of you asked me some questions. And I do think it's a very interesting conversation. And I do think it speaks to a bigger problem that is going on in the world of college sports right now in the NIL era. So let's get into it. Let's jump right to it. And it involves the current USC wide receiver, Jordan Addison. I think everybody listening to this show knows Jordan Addison, of course, was the Bolitnikov winner last year, 2021 college football season. And Jordan Addison, of course, right before the transfer deadline on whatever it was, I think it was May 1st, you had to be in the portal, just hours before, days before, announces that he is going to transfer. Enters the portal, he's recruited by everybody, has opportunities to go to Alabama, Texas, and USC are his final three. He ends up at USC, and even before he entered the portal, there were already rumors that it was NIL-related, that somebody from USC reached out to him privately, said, hey, if you come here, we'll give you X, Y, Z. And I'm not making that up, by the way. Remember, Pat Narduzzi, the pit head coach, apparently reached out to Lincoln Riley personally. So that part isn't my opinion. But what, it, what, what happened in the last week that made this a story again is that we do have a report that Jordan Addison is unhappy at USC. And so I want to read just the quote, the context, and then we'll set it up from there. So this came, ironically, like so many of these NIL rumors do, from a message board, uh, and it came from a national recruiting expert named Jerry Hamilton, who covers recruiting, and I don't even know what the context of, of what Jerry Hamilton said, but it certainly resonated. Like I said, I tweet about it, it went crazy viral. What Jerry Hamilton said, and this is a direct quote, Jordan Addison has been pissed in recent weeks because what he has been promised hasn't been followed through on. Now, I want to say a couple things before I get into some details. One, I cannot speak to Jordan Addison specifically. I've never met him. I don't know anyone in his inner circle. Uh, I don't know his agent. I don't know his parents. I don't know whatever. So I'm not speaking about Jordan Addison. I cannot confirm or deny that report, nor will I try to in the next few minutes. But what I can tell you is I think most of you know 
that I do live in Los Angeles. I do have some things about some stuff at USC. Nothing even negative necessarily. It's not. I'm not going to be bashing Lincoln Riley if you're a USC fan. That's not what I'm about to do over the next couple minutes. But I do have some information that I, I do think most of you probably really do not know. Uh, but I also do think it speaks to a problem that we are going to have in college football until we get above the board regulations across the board nationally on NIL. And that is that there are lies being told, there are broken promises, there are things being promised when kids get to campus that are not being fulfilled upon, and this is the crazy new world of college football that we have to accept. And it's sad and it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, it is the kids who are being impacted. It's not me. My, my, you know, I'm fortunate. What I get to do does not get impacted this one way or another. It's the kids, it's the families, it's people that are promised certain things. And this Jordan Addison report, whether Jordan Addison specifically is involved or not, what's more important is it speaks to a bigger problem going on in college sports right now. And so let's get into what I do know about USC, which I do think is going to be very interesting for many of you. I think most people, even if you peripherally follow college sports, you know that since Lincoln Riley has gotten to USC, it has been you know uh, peaches and gravy and sunshine and rainbows and there's been no disappointment. And I think a lot of why Lincoln Riley, there's so much excitement is because not only his track record, not only his level of success, but that he's kind of hitting USC at a perfect moment in time. He's hitting USC at a perfect moment in time where yes, the program is bad, but we now live in this transfer portal world where you don't have to wait four years to rebuild your roster. You don't have to sign three elite recruiting classes out of the high school ranks and wait until 2026 to compete at the highest level. You can go into the transfer portal. You can get difference makers right away. And clearly, USC has been one of the big benefactors of that with Caleb Williams, with Jordan Addison, with many other players, Mario Williams, who came from Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, uh, a couple other guys. They've, they've signed, I think, 20-plus transfers at this point. And I think a lot of people very publicly believe that it's all NIL-related, that it's Lincoln Riley, but it's NIL, and that USC just has this spigot of, of money flowing, and everybody's getting paid, and everybody's driving nice cars, and everybody's living in high-rise apartments, and they are living that LA life. What I can tell you is that is simply not true. And what, what it comes down to is it was a really interesting scenario about how I stumbled across this information. But when the USC-UCLA Big Ten news happened about two, three, four weeks ago, it was really interesting because, you know, I just called a buddy of mine at USC probably a day or two after it happened. And as I said, I live in Los Angeles, so I probably know the Pac-12 landscape better than a lot of people. And I kind of reached out to him just to say, dude, you know, did you know? How much did you know? What did you know? When did you find out? And in the process of talking, we started talking NIL. And I kind of said, hey, this, this is great for you guys because now you're in the Big Ten. There's more money kind of coming into your athletic department through those TV deals. And uh, because there's more TV money coming in, it means that you're going to be less reliant on booster money. So you can go ahead and let those boosters just pay those guys, whatever. But hey, who cares? Because you guys are crushing it in NIL. And I, 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 it was just a, an offhand comment that I made of the Big Ten is great. The NIL will, will thrive in this current environment because now boosters can focus on taking care of the players. And what my contact at USC said to me, he said, man, I hope you're right because we are way behind on NIL. And I thought of this when Jordan Addison, the news broke that he's unhappy. And I had a contact at USC tell me we are way behind on NIL. 
And I said, what are you talking about? All I ever read, all I ever talk about, all I ever hear is, oh, Lincoln Riley this, USC that, they're the West Coast this, they're going to crush it here. And my buddy said, Torres, do some homework. We, we, it's not that, let me, let me even backtrack. He basically was like, Torres, do your homework because it is not where you think it is in terms of NIL. First of all, fun fact on USC, and you can Google this. This doesn't come from an inside source. USC does not have a collective right now, okay? Now, they recently, in the last month, if you Google USC collective, you'll see from about the middle of June, they did sign up with a marketing agency whose goal is to go out and kind of engage businesses locally, okay? So that is kind of the, 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 the collective that they have up to date. But they are behind many of the programs across college sports in terms of they don't have a group of 5, 10, 20 elite boosters that have endless amounts of money. This isn't the reports that you've seen out of other schools, and I'm not going to name the names, but you know what schools that we think have gotten ahead in the NIL collective space. USC ain't that. Um, you know, some of these schools are trying to do it by the books. Some of these schools are trying to really only make sure that op- players are taking opportunities kind of on the up and up. Nick Saban has talked about this at Alabama. I know Kentucky fans are frustrated because their AD, Mitch Barnhart, is being very careful about how they're kind of implementing NIL. And my understanding is USC is kind of the same. Again, they, they started about a month ago a collective that does allow players to kind of connect with local businesses, but it is not just this booster well of money that everybody else has. And so I found that very interesting. And then my buddy said, Torres, look at the, look at, look at the, everyone's telling us that, that we're cleaning up in the portal and we're this and we're that. And my buddy said, look, we're always going to get high school players uh, to come to USC because Southern California is so fertile in men's basketball, in women's basketball, in football, all of these sports that matter. But the transfer portal is the difference maker. The transfer portal is the X factor. And what he said to me was, he goes, Torres, go ahead and look at what USC has actually done in the transfer portal across the sports that matter and the sports that we cover. Let's go to basketball for a second because, oh, by the way, many of you know, I cover college basketball too. We're going to talk about basketball in about 10 minutes with the Gigi Jackson stuff. Um, but he said, you know, look at, look at how USC basketball recruited the portal before this season versus this season, okay? Uh, he, if you go back and look at Andy Enfield's track record, Andy Enfield's track record in the portal speaks for itself. He was one of the early adapters to the portal and really about three, four, five years ago started to see the value in bringing in older, more experienced players. It helped USC get to an Elite Eight in 2021. Last offseason, they signed one of the best transfers in the portal named Boogie Ellis, who came from Memphis. And all of a sudden this year, they didn't sign any transfers. And what my source told me, what my contact told me was, do you think that happened by accident? Do you think our basketball program just decided one day, oh, we're not going to recruit transfers anymore? Oh, no. It's because they would get in meetings. You get in meetings, you know, you get in in Zooms and contacts and, and whatever with a player, but the player now has an agent, and the agent is saying, I need this guarantee X, Y, Z. And as we've talked about before, some schools just won't do it. And even if USC wanted to, and I'm not saying that they do want to, but even if they did, they couldn't because they don't have a collective. And so they, they, my understanding is they lost out on a lot of really good basketball opportunities because they just don't have that in place where they can say, this is the plan in NIL, this is how we are implementing it. And again, I'm not saying that anything would be done wrong. That's not what I am saying at all. But what I am saying is, go ahead and look. USC basketball has cleaned up in the portal over the last couple years. This year, coming off an Elite Eight in 2021, uh, a season where they went, uh, they were in the top 25 all year. You'd think this would be the year that they would clean up, only it didn't happen at all.
Then, of course, there's football. And a lot of you are saying, but Torres, every story, every article I read says that USC, they just crushed it in the portal led by Caleb Williams. And what my contact told me, and I found this very interesting, he said, look, first of all, Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams is a different man, different guy, right? Caleb Williams is, Caleb Williams is one of the poster children like C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, like Bryce Young at Alabama. He's one of the poster children for what NIL is supposed to be. He is in college football circles, a household name. Everybody in the sport knows him. Uh, he has a national relevance. He's playing for a big brand. He's a quarterback. And what my contact told me was like, yeah, of course that guy's going to be fine. He's set up with a legitimate agency, really good national brands. You know, I, I think Beats by Dre is one of many brands that is involved with Caleb Williams. But yeah, Caleb Williams cleaned up. But that's not a USC thing. That's a Caleb Williams thing. And so to circle back to all this Jordan Addison stuff, is he disappointed, is he not? My buddy told me, he said, look at everything else that has happened at USC. Look at all the guys that USC football has signed. Look at all the difference makers that everybody says this is an elite class. He said, okay, Jordan Addison, elite wide receiver. No one's debating that. Mario Williams, elite wide receiver. Keep in mind, he was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, and he said publicly, wherever Caleb Williams goes, I'm going to end up there with him. There was Travis Dye, running back from Oregon. His coach leaves from Miami. Mario Cristobal decides to enter the portal. But those are all, think about what I just said. A quarterback, two wide receivers, skill position, running back. They're all skill position guys. You know who I didn't mention on that list? Didn't mention a single elite offensive lineman. Now, they got some good guys. They got some talented guys. They didn't get anybody elite. As a matter of fact, there was an elite offensive lineman in high school that committed late that was believed to go to USC, he goes to Oregon, and the speculation was, and you know I don't do NIL speculation, but I'm just saying what other people thought and reported was that it was over NIL. USC lost the top offensive tackle on the West Coast to Oregon in what people believe is NIL, that Oregon is ahead of USC in terms of their collective efforts. Oh, by the way, the defensive side of the football. USC probably signed 8, 10, 12 guys on the defensive side, but outside of a linebacker named Eric Gentry, all, uh, all Pac-12 freshman team, I think, at, at Arizona State, they really didn't sign those elite difference makers. And again, it's because they're behind in NIL. And so I didn't inter- intend to make this like a 15-minute USC thing, but it speaks to where we are at in NIL right now and where the frustration comes from. The frustration, when you hear Nick Saban yell and scream, about the present and future of college football. It's never, everyone thinks it's because, oh, he thinks he's falling behind. No, he doesn't. What Nick Saban is worried about is making sure that, as he said last week while I was gone, that everybody's on the same playing field, that everybody knows the rules, that, hey, if it's going to take me 500000 or a million dollars to go ahead and get an elite defensive end, defensive tackle, whatever, that's fine. I just want to make sure that I'm playing on the same playing field as everybody else. I mean, think about it at the most basic level. Imagine this world that we live in where we don't know what reports are true and what's not. Remember, there was a report that Jordan Addison got $4 million to go to USC. Imagine if we did that in the NFL. We know that Patrick Mahomes signed some kind of contract that paid him, you know, he's, it's going to pay him $500 million over 12 years or whatever, and this much is guaranteed. Imagine if we didn't know what Patrick Mahomes was getting, and somebody on a message board just said, yeah, the reports are, uh, you know, I heard from a source, I heard from this, I heard from that. Uh, 
that Patrick Mahomes signed a billion-dollar contract. One, think about how big of a story it would be. But then two, what do you think Josh Allen's agent would do? What do you think Tom Brady's agent would do? What do you think Aaron Rodgers' agent would do? Everybody would completely flip it. Everybody would want a new deal. Everybody would want what they think Patrick Mahomes is getting. And that sounds crazy, and that sounds absurd, yet that's exactly where we are in college football. I bet that for a lot of you, what I just told you on USC, that's probably the first time you have heard any of that. I can tell you on good authority from people within that athletic department, more than one, that what I told you is true. They feel like they are, all you've heard for six months is that USC is, is changing the game in NIL. Those people inside those walls at Heritage Hall believe they're behind. And so that is the crazy new world that we live in. And again, this is the biggest problem in college sports right now. Nobody knows what's real. Nobody knows what's not. And to take it a step further, you know who's being hurt by it? You know who's, being, you know who's on the other end of these broken promises? It's the athletes. Like I said, it's not me. It's not Nick Saban. It's not Lincoln Riley. It's the players who are promised certain things. And so just think about all of the things that are going on behind the scenes because we don't have any facts behind what these reports are. One, you got all these agents running wild. And now, of course, like everything else, there are good agents. I'm not saying every agent is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. Same with fill in the blank. There's good lawyers and bad lawyers, good teachers and bad teachers. There's good agents and bad agents. But there are some bad agents, and there are some agents that at the very least don't know what they're doing or don't have their client's best interest at heart. Now, I don't know the guy, but remember like two weeks ago when we talked about the, the Miami quarterback that committed to Miami and everybody said it was about NIL and he said it wasn't and then the agent comes out and says, uh, yeah, uh, 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 he, turned, he took less money to go to Miami. Well, you know what that means? He still took money to go to Miami, which is an NCAA rules violation. So one, again, it's that gray area of what's the truth, what's the fact, what's facts, what's fiction. But at the same time, what it also is is a guy that, that does he really have his kid's best interest at heart? Does he not? Does he this? Does he that? This is the new world that we live in. And that's, on, that, that's a good story, right? Because we think that that kid did get some NIL money. We think that that kid's going to be taken care of. What about the kids that are getting to campus and, and, and signing and committing to places with promises that just aren't fulfilled? What I've also heard is, you know, first of all, with some of these reports, you got to keep in mind, Asians are putting numbers out there because they want them out there because it either helps them get this kid whatever money they want to promise them, or more importantly, it's going to help them get the next guy. But what's the scarier part is the kids that are promised something go to a school because of it, and it never materializes. And you hear all sorts of stories about that behind the scenes in college sports right now. Well, this kid was promised that much, haven't gotten paid yet. This kid was promised that, haven't gotten paid yet. Now, this was just another internet rumor. I'm not saying it's fact because everybody involved denied it, including the kid. But there was a report out of Texas A&M that one of their five-star recruits is already mad because he, he was not given something that he was promised. I'll take it a step further. You know what's really scary? Some of these kids, because, and none of us do, by the way, right? I, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I have an agent, and I have an agent specifically to help me deal with complex legal things that I may be signing up for or not signing up for. But that's the other scary part. You have these kids that, that these collectives, and I'm not going to name a specific school because I don't know of one, but they're trying to sign them to these one-sided contracts. They're trying to sign them to they're either backloaded or they're this or they're incentive-based or they're that, or they try to keep your, your NIL rights after you leave the school. And so listen, I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I can't believe I talked that long about USC, 
But I just bring it up to say exactly what I said at the beginning. I can't speak to Jordan Addison. And I hope none of you think that I'm saying that I can't. I don't know his situation. I don't know his family's situation. But this is the scary part of NIL. You hear stuff, stuff becomes fact. Think about all the stuff that we think has become fact since NIL started. The Texas A&M stuff, the John Ruiz Miami stuff, the Tennessee quarterback, uh, whatever. I, I can't even think of everything. This new Jordan Addison story. And we don't know that it's fact. We don't know if it's fiction. And again, the kids are getting hurt by it. Now, the Caleb Williams are going to be okay. The C.J. Strouds are going to be okay. But it's those kids in that next tier that aren't as familiar, that aren't as name brand, that are promised things in recruiting. That's who you have to worry about. And I do hope. And again, it's not for my benefit. My life doesn't change at all. But it is my hope that we do start to wrap our arms around this um, because, again, it's the kids that get caught in the middle, cannot speak to Jordan Addison. But what I can tell you, Inside those walls at USC, they feel a lot differently about NIL than what's been reported. Um, and it would not surprise me if we hear more of these stories, these allegations. Don't know about Jordan Addison, but these stories and allegations about NIL deals gone wrong, NIL deals being broken, NIL trust being broken. All right, wasn't planning on doing 19 minutes on Jordan Addison. This is what I would do. I do want to take a quick break, do want to come back, and do want to hit on uh, little college hoops. Speaking of interesting recruiting stories, Gigi Jackson, number one high school basketball player in America, uh, 2023, was committed to North Carolina. Then he decommitted. Now he's going to reclassify. And I'll just be honest, I don't like it. What do I do? I always tell you. I tell the truth on this show. Just told it with USC. I'm going to tell you next about Gigi Jackson, wild basketball recruiting story. I'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and just talk about just a, a fascinating 
college basketball recruiting story that has come up over the last couple days. And I think if you're listening this far into the podcast, if you found this video on YouTube, however you're consuming this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, you probably know all the details, but it's a player named Gigi Jackson, widely regarded as probably the best high school basketball player in the class of 2023 obviously there's some talk that maybe dj wagner is the number one player but gg jackson is right there he's the number one player according to 24 7 sports and we got a mega 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 recruiting update on this kid who again probably the number one high school player in the class of 2023 which means that he is set to be a senior next year he was committed to the University of North Carolina. You've probably heard of the Tar Heels, reigning national runners-up, lost to Kansas in the title game. They're going to be really good next year. He was committed going into his senior year to the Carolina Tar Heels. Just one problem. On Thursday night, he became the first player ever to decommit from North Carolina. And more interestingly, it seems as though multiple, multiple reports seem to indicate that he already knows where he's going next and on an accelerated timeline. He is reportedly, I think Travis Branham has been all over the story from 24-7 Sports. He is reportedly uh, set to announce that he is going to South Carolina. Here is the twist, though. On top of going to South Carolina, he is a South Carolina native. He is also going to reclassify into the class of 2022 and roll this fall shortly after Peach Jam. He will be a South Carolina Gamecock. So that last part isn't official yet. He did decommit on Thursday. The, the South Carolina element is expected in the coming days. But let me just say this. I'm going to give you all the details. But this is a fascinating story because, one, you have an elite high school player that could be playing college basketball this coming season. But here's where it's interesting. Why is he making the decision? There's some interesting details that you need to know. And frankly, reclassifying, going to a school with not a lot of talent around him, I don't think this is probably the best decision for him. So let's get into it. I kind of just gave you the background, but what I would tell you overall about this kid, first of all, really talented player. As I said, I think I said it, six foot eight forward, uh, really athletic, can shoot the ball, step back. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Paul George, maybe, like just super athletic wing guy. Um, but just a, a fascinating recruitment that has seemingly been between North Carolina and South Carolina from the beginning. He is from uh, Columbia, not far from the University of South Carolina, but last fall visited North Carolina during, I believe it was essentially their Midnight Madness event. He was expected to be a Carolina lean, but then as time went on, the buzz increased that he would eventually end up at South Carolina and that this part of the equation, that the reclassification would be on the table. Then, of course, we know what happened in South Carolina. Frank Martin gets fired, and all of a sudden his recruitment opens back up, and Carolina not only takes the lead, but on top of Carolina taking the lead, he actually announces that he is going to North Carolina in the class of 2023. What's especially interesting, there were all those reclassification rumors with South Carolina, but he seemingly wasn't interested at all in reclassifying to go to North Carolina. He said publicly he wasn't ready. He said he was happy to be in the class of 2023. He was committed to the Tar Heels. And so the question now becomes, what has happened that he has decided that he's not only going to flip his commitment, but also he is going to reclassify just weeks after saying that he had no interest in reclassifying. And I think it's important to note, by the way, my understanding is North Carolina would have happily taken him this year. 
They had an open scholarship after Kerwin Walton transferred, but he said he wasn't interested. And so they went after Pete Nance, the transfer from Northwestern. So why? Now I feel like I'm Brian Windhorst in the meme. Why did he tell North Carolina a few weeks ago that he was not interested in reclassifying? Now he decommits and he's about to go to South Carolina. Part of it is, yes, maybe it's part of the coaching change, but I think it's much more. And let's get into that part because I think that part is fascinating. Why decommit? Why reclassify? Why South Carolina? Well, what's especially interesting, and one thing that I know, following recruiting as long as I have, it is that in general, when something crazy happens in recruiting, there's usually an adult behind the scenes, sometimes multiple adults involved in the decision-making process. That's why a lot of times you just see crazy stuff or back and forth or can't decide on a school. A lot of times there's an adult involved and we now have like official reports that this is going on. So as I mentioned, Travis Branham did a really good job reporting on this story. He posted something on Thursday before the official decommitment. Here is part of what he said about this whole crazy recruitment. He said, second, and what has proven to be the most crucial was the fact that others behind the scenes have strongly wanted to see Jackson stay at home and play for South Carolina, while others just wanted him to enroll early regardless of destination. And so what you clearly have here is a kid who is conflicted, a kid who is conflicted between schools and whether he's actually ready or not. And the one thing that I will say, the one thing that I have on record, this is not me reading message boards, even though I I think it's been on the message boards. It does seem as though his mom, who obviously lives in South Carolina, does want him to be a Gamecock. My understanding is when he committed to North Carolina, she did not show up at the press conference. She is at least one of the adults pushing behind the scenes to get him to South Carolina. And then according to this Travis Brandon report from 24-7 Sports, it appears as though there's others that just want him into the class of 2022 so he can be draft eligible a year early. So you have a kid. He seemingly wants to go to North Carolina. He seemingly wanted to go there in 2023, wanted to enjoy his senior year, but instead, the adults in his life, this is per a report from 24-7 Sports, some are pulling him to South Carolina, some are pulling him to reclassify, and this is the sad part to me, and I know we shouldn't feel too bad for a kid that frankly is probably a year away from being a millionaire NBA draft pick. I do feel bad for him, and I do wonder, based on the reports, based on what I've heard, based on the clear confusion about the back and forth of who he's committed to and when he's going to commit and how long he's going to commit and when he's going to show up on campus, I do wonder if anybody really has this kid's best interest at heart. Because here's the bottom line. First of all, you can never go wrong with staying in high school longer and slowing down your development. Now, some guys are ready, and we're going to get into all the reclassification stuff in a minute. But I remember talking to somebody close to Paolo Bancaro a few years ago. Um, and what they told me was Paolo could have reclassified, but we told him, trust the process, stay the course. We want you to finish out high school. We want you to be a kid. We want you to go to college. And then when you're ready to be a pro, be a pro. Well, I think it worked out pretty well for Paolo Bancaro. He is the number one overall pick in the draft. And so when I look at this kid, when I look at this Gigi Jackson situation, What I am concerned about, why I don't believe that it it is the best decision for him, is because it really brings together the confluence of two things that we have seen in high school basketball recruiting that generally just do not work out well for the player involved. Now, maybe he's the exception to the rule, but what do they say about the exception to the rule? The exception 
you know, everybody believes they're the exception. There is an exception to every rule, but the exception also proves the rule. And I do worry about him because I do think two conflicting things are happening in his recruitment. First of all, one, what I would say is historically reclassifications just generally don't work unless you are on a really, really, really loaded team. And then on top of that, it also doesn't work where whether you're reclassifying or not in general. If you're a high school basketball star, it just generally doesn't work going to an inferior team that doesn't have talent around you, which I hate to say it, South Carolina fans, but it's kind of the truth in this case. In terms of the reclassifications, it was funny. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I was thinking about them. And really in terms of the best ones that have worked out, and maybe I missed one or two, but the best ones that have worked out probably were actually five, six, seven years ago at this point, and they were really talented players that went to really good situations with other really good players. Carl Anthony Towns actually reclassified, ends up at Kentucky, that loaded team with Willie Cauley-Stein, Devin Booker, the Harrison Twins, etc. He ends up being the number one pick in the draft. Not too much is put on his shoulders. He's awesome at Kentucky, but they don't need him to be everything. A couple years later, it was the same with Marvin Bagley. Reclassified, goes to Duke. He's awesome, but he had a bunch of NBA talent around him. He played with Gary Trent, who's, who's, who's playing really well in the NBA. He played with Wendell Carter, who's playing really well in the NBA. And Marvin Bagley worked out really well for. There's a lot of reclassified kids, though, that didn't, where it didn't work out. There was obviously Anthony Edwards. He reclassified, goes to Georgia. Clearly, he had individual success, but the team really struggled. There were guys that went to good teams but just weren't good enough. Devin Askew at Kentucky, we all know how that worked out. Christian Lander at Indiana, we all know how that worked out. He barely played and after two years just transferred to Western Kentucky. Amani Bates, we all know how that one worked out. Did not work out well. He just transferred to Eastern Michigan. But beyond just the reclassifying to a school that doesn't really have a lot of talent around you, just think about all the other guys who have thought, I'm going to be the guy that does the, the, the different school thing, da-da-da-da, this and that, and how it just works out for them in general. Anthony Edwards I just mentioned. I don't think any of us realized how good Anthony Edwards was because he played for such a bad college team that was so poorly coached. Now, maybe part of it was Tom Crean. But Anthony Edwards now, I, I don't even think there's a debate. He's one of the, like the top 25 players in the NBA right now. Averaged 19 as a rookie, averaged 21 this past year, got Minnesota to the playoffs, gave Memphis fits. Anthony Edwards was a star, but we didn't see it because he went to Georgia. The team around him stunk. The coaching stunk. And we had no idea how good he was. Markel Fultz, obviously draft-wise it worked out, but missed the NCAA tournament at Washington. Ben Simmons. He put up historic numbers. I know it's easy to crush Ben Simmons now. I've done it on this podcast. But he put up historic numbers in his one year at LSU, and it didn't matter. By the end of the year, he was ready to get out. They were ready for him to leave, and it was just a disaster. And so that's what I worry about with Gigi Jackson. The reclassification thing rarely works, and I don't think that... I think he's a really, really talented player, but he's still only 17 years old as we speak. He'll be 18 this year. He'll be 19 next year, which will make him draft eligible in 2023. That's why he's deciding to reclassify. But I just, I look at the whole situation. I think he's really good. I don't think he's good enough to go to South Carolina, which has by far, the I don't know about by far, but it has the least talent, in my opinion, in the SEC next year. Now, they had a couple of nice pieces through the portal. They added Michi Johnson from Ohio State. They added a couple guys. 
I don't believe that they have the talent around him, though, to put him in the position to succeed, especially as a 17, soon-to-be 18-year-old who is going to be asked to be the face of the program, carry the program. Every media opportunity is going to be about him. Uh, He's going to be arriving late on campus, which I think is a factor as well. I don't know if he's good enough to handle all of that uh, on an inferior roster. Now, you put him on Carolina, even if he had reclassified this year. You're playing with Armando Baycott. You're playing with Caleb Love. You're playing with R.J. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? You're uh, R.J. Davis. You know, you, you have talent around you. Leaky Black is a fourth, fifth-year senior that's going to help you out. And so if you were going to reclassify, it always seems like North Carolina was the spot. And if you went to South Carolina, wait a year and see if you can recruit guys around you. Does it, like Cade Cunningham did, like uh, whoever did. And so when I look at this situation, I wish him well. I really do, one thing I never do on this show, and anyone who listens to this show, who listens to any of my work, I do not tell people what to do. I do not claim to have all the answers, but I am a historian of college sports. I love this stuff, and I think what you're looking at is a couple things with Gigi Jackson. If he does ultimately commit to South Carolina, right now it's not official, but we know it's coming. At the very least, I just don't see the scenario where he wins very much, and it's cool to stay home, and it's cool to be the hometown hero, but winning is fun too, and I just don't think that anyone could step in there by themselves and have immediate success next year. The question becomes, does it hurt his draft stock? And I hope that it is at least a case like Markel Fultz, like Ben Simmons, like Anthony Edwards, where it doesn't. But again, it's just a crazy story. And for the record, I know South Carolina fans are going to hear this. I'm not a UNC fan. I'm not you know, in the bag for them. I'm not rooting for them. But I root for all kids to be in the best position to succeed and put themselves in the best position to have long-term success. And I just don't know, as arriving in Columbia as a 17 to just turned 18-year-old, to be the face of a program that will be the worst program in the SEC uh, is the best thing for him. And I hope I'm wrong. And by the way, I hope I'm wrong on this. We do a segment every week on this show called Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. I hope I'm wrong on this, uh, and I hope he has a great season. I just don't know if the people around him really care about what is best for him. With that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. How about that for a welcome back episode of the Air Torres Sports Podcast? You got an hour of Torres, and I'll be honest, I— I'm proud of this show because to me what this show represents is what we do, which is, I believe, give you insight into college sports that you won't hear anybody else. I believe that you learn some stuff about USC, the setup there, all that good stuff that nobody else is telling you. I believe that I was honest about Gigi Jackson in a way that I don't think a lot of other people would be. And so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And here's the good part. I ain't going anywhere. First of all, as I mentioned, we are going to have great coverage of SEC Media Days all week. So if you're not following our team-specific accounts, please make sure to do so. But more important than that, we got some great stuff coming this fall. So first of all, with the podcast, if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. If you want to leave questions as reviews, do it. We'll use them in the mailbag. I've already gotten one or two. I appreciate your guys' support. Make sure you're following those social media accounts. Busy week at SEC Media Days. And really, that's it. That's it. That's all I got for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is great to be back. It's great to be with all of you. It's time for me to get out of here. 
I'll be back on Wednesday. I'm sure something crazy will have happened through the first two days at SEC Media Days, but it's time for me to go. So with that said, you know what time it is. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.